I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a look at music's effect on our everyday lives. Today is July 21st, and for years, we've thought that beginning this Friday, all eyes around the world would be on Tokyo for the 2020 Summer Olympics. As we all know, the Olympics have been postponed for the first time ever due to COVID-19. But in the spirit of the Olympics that would have been, I'd like to highlight a musical Olympic event that some listeners may not even be aware of, and that is the Equestrian Dressage Musical Freestyle. My guest today is Betsy Van Dyke, an accomplished dressage horse trainer and competitor through the international level of the Grand Prix. Betsy has an affinity for musical freestyle dressage and has won many championships, including Grand Prix freestyle championships. Betsy has a deep appreciation for music and finds joy in compiling freestyle music and working with musicians to create original scores for horse and rider combinations. My favorite fact about Betsy is she also happens to be my sister. (laughs) Welcome to Enhance Life with Music, Betsy. Thank you so much, Mindy. I'm so glad to be here. Even though we are sisters and Betsy is an incredibly accomplished champion equestrian, I do not know very much at all about horses. There are 11 years between (laughs) Betsy and me, and I did not grow up with horses. So I'll be asking all the rookie questions on behalf of other listeners who may not be intimately familiar with the musical freestyle Olympic event. I'm going to start out by giving listeners just a basic general description of the dressage category of Olympic events. This is from the Tokyo 2020 website. Dressage is considered the most artistic of the equestrian sports and is used as the groundwork for all other disciplines. It tests the ability of horse and athlete to display both athletic prowess and supreme elegance by evaluating, for example, an athlete's ability to make their horse move quickly from side to side, transition into a gallop, or rapidly change direction using subtle commands. Often compared to ballet, the intense connection between the human and equine athlete is a thing of beauty to behold. Now, we're talking specifically today about the musical freestyle Olympic event. This event is really the grand finale of all dressage events. Only the top finalists in other Olympic dressage events advance to the musical freestyle, which is the event that determines the top medals. Betsy, what other logistics should we know about this final event before we jump into more of the musical aspects of the event? Well, you are correct in what you're saying about the Olympics. When we get to the Olympics, it is um, a point where you do a team competition at the beginning. And depending on how well you do in that and how well your team does in that, you move on to what we call the individual test or the Grand Prix special test. And if you do well in that and then you're in the top several riders, the top 18 riders in that, then you move on to the musical freestyle competition, which is the final test of competition for individual gold medal or individual medals. So only 18 contestants make it to the musical freestyle in the Olympics. Correct. In the Olympics, yes. Now, we might all compete at home in national competitions in the musical freestyle competition on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other logistics about this event that would be nice background information to know before we jump into the musical aspects? 
Absolutely, absolutely. So the Olympics has a really beautiful history with dressage, in my opinion. The Olympics was not open to women at the beginning with equestrian sports. And that happened in 1952, where they started allowing women to compete in it. And I think that's a really interesting fact, because they actually not only allowed women to compete in equestrian sport, but they also were allowed to compete as equals with men, which is Mm. unheard of still to this day in the Olympics. Yeah, so So, that is the only Olympic event then that men and women both compete in together as equals. Interesting. Correct. And in fact, at this point, I would say um, that most dressage people would even admit that uh, it's probably predominantly women. There are a lot of men at the Olympic level, and they still, you know have a good chance at it, but we do well in it. Women do well in it. Um, Men do as well, but, and the Olympics, you know, has been something that we've been able to compete in, uh, you know, or at least the men were able to compete in officially since 1912 in dressage and from 1900 uh, in equestrian sport in general. So it's a longstanding Olympic sport. Okay. And, the actual event that we're talking about today, when was that introduced to the Olympics? That's a great question. So we actually just were introducing musical freestyle competition to the Olympics in 1996 at the Atlanta Olympics. And one of the things that I think is a really wonderful story about that is that musical freestyle dressage was a new thing. I mean, in fact, they introduced it at the World Cup in Holland for the first time in 1985. And they did that because a Dutch rider was competing at the Olympics prior to that and saw in the Olympic awards ceremony, the gold medalist who is Reiner Klimke, who's an amazing uh, dressage rider, the gold medalist in the awards ceremony, they were playing the Olympic theme for the awards ceremony. And he was riding his horse around for the awards uh, presentation. And we do a victory lap Mm -hmm. on our horses for that. And he started doing one tempi changes, which is one of the movements that we do. That's very dance like in time to the Olympic theme. And when they saw that, they thought, Oh my goodness, this could be such an amazing, um, you know, spectator aspect of the sport. And it really uh, sparked the musical freestyle dressage. And that Dutch visionary who saw that started it then in the World Cup, uh, and which is for us, like our Olympic type level competition every year, we have it every year in a different country. Uh And at the World Cup in 1985, they started it. And that was the beginning of musical freestyle dressage. And then in the Atlanta Olympics in 1996, they added it as the the crowning jewel of the individual dressage. Mm, How common is it for events to be added to the Olympics? Do you know? You know, that's a great question that I do not have the answer to. I don't know, but I'm very curious now that you say that because I don't think it's very often. I do know that they get removed sometimes because there was a question at one point of dressage being removed. Um, The Olympic Committee kind of came forward because it's very, you know, equestrian sport requires quite a venue, okay, Mm -hmm. for the Olympics, as you can imagine. I mean, it's it's not like, um, you know, just something simple that they have to have. It's a pretty big facility. Mm-hmm. And it w- was brought into question at one point years ago. And I remember there was such an overwhelming 
response from the equestrian community. Mm. They were like, okay, okay, yeah, we'll leave it in. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay. How, when that musical freestyle event was added to the Olympics in 96, how was that received by the dressage and equestrian community? amazingly well it was um you know they were sold out for the for the spectators i actually know people who were there at the time and Mm. said it was just an incredible venue and incredible atmosphere and people were so excited about it and it was really uh it was really controversial because the dressage community in general um was on both sides of the fence about it because they there were a lot of purists who were thinking that it was going to make it into what they considered a circus performance mm. um it wasn't going to be the traditional military sport and that is where it came from was mm. the military and the cavalry so they wanted the tradition the rest of the crowd wanted you know the the enjoyment and the beauty mm. of the dancing and music and, you know, feeling the pull of their soul with these horses, which mm. it really does. Mm. So it has been very well received since then. And the, the purists even have come around to the other side of the fence. Okay. Well, most dressage Olympians don't know going into the Olympics if they're going to even make it to that final event, right? Correct. So Correct. how how do they prepare? Do they, they do they just assume they're making it and prepare as if they will be playing? Uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say that that is a major part of our sport, too, is that, you know, the sports psychology of it is, I mean, we always prepare that there's only plan A anyway. Okay. Um, you know, we're always, you know, we have to be prepared to be able to handle plan B, but we really are always focusing on the goals. So that is one aspect of it. Number two, you also are qualifying to compete in the Olympics. And in order to qualify, you have to perform your musical freestyle. So you Uh, have to go through the same process in order to qualify for the Olympics. So you're you're still going to be very familiar with your freestyle at that point and have a really good handle on whether or not you're prepared and ready to go. Otherwise, you wouldn't you wouldn't even be making it to the Olympics and on the team. So do each of these contestants and athletes have sort of their signature freestyle that they use over and over for domestic and national competitions and then also reuse it at the Olympics if they make it that far? Or are they needing to come up with new ones for every event? That's a great question. And actually one that I would say a lot of dressage uh, trainers and competitors, including myself, have spirited uh, debate about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You often see the same freestyle over and over and over and over again, because they are extremely difficult to get right. Um, You can imagine if you were to dance or do a figure skate routine or, you know, any other kind of sport to music, you choreograph it, you have it down to a science, you know what works, you know what doesn't, you know what brings that moving emotional feel in a moment during your your competition. Mm-hmm. And once you have it, you kind of don't want to let go of it. You, you really want to keep playing on that well imagine too you have kind of like these signature moves that are maybe really tough but you happen to do those really well and you want to make sure those are in there so you can show them off absolutely and you will find that certain trainers or you know we call them trainers but certainly competitors 
certain competitors will go out there again and again, maybe even on different horses over 20, 30 years. You'll see it again and again. They will kind of have a signature move that is something that is theirs, and they tend to perform it every time. And there's no patent on that, so everyone can start doing their move if they want to. And you then you have to decide, do I keep doing my move or do I need to come up with something new? And mm-hmm. I think it's good for the sport because it keeps us thinking and keeps us evolving and changing and mm-hmm. pushing ourselves. Sure. Well, you co- you use the comparison of figure skating, and that is a good comparison because yes. if peop- if listeners haven't seen this event – I think it's hard to really know what it is like. Uh, Betsy, you sent me the YouTube link to the musical freestyle on YouTube. And when I watched that, I was like, ah, now I totally get it. And it really is similar, has a lot of similarities to a figure skating competition where you have the doubles in figure skating. It's two humans in musical freestyle. It's the horse and the athlete, human, human athlete. Uh, but they, it's, it's completely choreographed. It's set to music. There's different, uh, like you mentioned a pee off, you know, different moves that are included in it. And it is absolutely beautiful. And one thing that really struck me when I was watching it is how the horses are sort of dancing or marching, moving to the beat of the music. And as I was watching it, the big question that I had was, do those horses, do they, can they sense that rhythm and that beat and move to it? Or it are they completely responding to the cues of the rider and the rider is completely responsible for getting that horse to sink to the, their steps to the beat? Well, another great question, because this is a question I get asked. I cannot tell you how much if I had a dollar for every time I was asked, actually, I probably would <laughs> be able to go out to dinner at least if not more, but it's a combination. I have to say it's primarily the rider's aids. So, for instance, if I'm riding a horse and I'm in a musical freestyle and I know my music inside and out, right, and I know that it's coming, that I'm going to have a beat that, you know, is suggesting what we call the two tempies, which is where we change the horse's lead every other stride. So it's one and two and one and two and one and two. So when I and when you say the lead, to, that's the foot that is forward. Correct. Okay. Correct in the canter. Yes. Okay. So when I do that, when I start changing the lead, I want to try to be on beat when I start it. So when I first ask the horse to do a flying change, hopefully I'm asking him for the first one on beat, and then it's easy. I mean, as long as the horse is in my rhythm and we're both in sync with one another. From here on out, we're going to be on beat with the music. The music's not changing, right? Mm -hmm. So if I ask him on beat, then we're pretty much going to be in sync for, say, that movement. Now, on the other hand, I will tell you that the horses hear that music and it impacts them. Mm -hmm. If you think of a child, when you see a two- or three-year-old child playing in the the living room and you turn on music and you turn up the music, how many of those kids start dancing around? Almost all of them. Right. 
and they all dance a little differently uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they might like certain music more than others. They might be scared by certain music. They might cover their ears. They might start spinning around and screaming. They might start twirling around and get all soft and quiet. Mm-hmm. They might want to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So you you think of a horse in a similar way where they are impacted by music in the mm-hmm. same way. Really? So if if you have a lot of percussion, for instance, in your musical freestyle, you need to make sure that you have a horse that can handle that because a lot of horses might be scared by that. Ah. And if you start blasting that in a big amphitheater, you know, or, or especially an indoor stadium, mm-hmm. that could really set them off. And I've seen horses have to literally withdraw from competition in those situations wow. where they just start shaking and cowering. And I mean, it's just it's like thunders going off in their uh-huh. mind. So you have to really know your horse. Now, on the positive side, my Grand Prix horse that I sent you a video clip of that I competed for a long time. And, the, and he, let me just inject that will be in the show notes. So if you're oh, feeling, thank you. yeah. So lovely. if, if listeners are listening, thinking I'm not totally getting this event, just hit pause, go to the show notes, watch a little <laughs> bit of the video and then come back. <laughs> yeah. It's a, that's a good idea, honestly, to, so that you have a visual because it is hard to explain the sport and really the art of it without listening and watching and seeing because you know it's like anything with music to try to describe a song without listening to the song is very challenging but Mm -hmm. I would say that back to the horses and how they pick up on it that horse that particular horse that I was competing at the time he tends to be uh, of a personality. We always call him a surfer dude. He kind of <laughs> would prefer to just stay on the couch and, you know, just chill, just hang out. He really doesn't want to work too hard unless he has to. But I tell you what, you crank up some music, especially depending on the music and what he likes, and you put him in front of an audience that applauds for him, he turns into a different creature. Really? He is a showman through and through. <laughs> the bigger the audience, the better he performs. The more excitement, the better he performs. If there's no one around, he's bored and he's not going to perform. Oh, wow. So oh, they funny. do have their own personalities. And he will definitely get into a bit of a rhythm and especially if he really likes the music, I can sense it while I'm riding him that he will, I mean, he's drawn into the beat. He actually tries to match the beat. Really? So, yes. And some horses are more so that way than others. Okay. I had a, I had another horse I was riding for a client just recently, and he happens to be a, a horse of Spanish descent. He's a Lusitano, and he moves very pretty naturally but it so happened I had a friend visiting who's not a horse person and he started cranking up some reggae music yeah in his car Uh and it was he was just blasting it in his car parked next to the arena where I was riding this horse and doing some schooling at home some training and this horse turned into a different horse (laughs) started moving so much bigger so much looser so much more expressive and I, I called his owner when I got off the, of the horse and I said, well, he likes reggae. 
<laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. Do you, how do writers typically figure out what kind of music their horses respond to? They do they just try playing different genres and see what the response is? Yes, and there are actual musical freestyle composers that this is their job, this is what they do and you can hire them to put together musical freestyles and most of the time when you do hire someone they will give you several alternative options and you play them, you ride with mm. your horse and you basically decide if you like it or you don't, or if the horse likes it or they don't. Okay. And a lot of the times, you know, it, it's, you know, the rider has to enjoy it too, because they're going to hear it a lot. Mm-hmm. So you do usually tend to pick music that you yourself like and then go from there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it really is important. And it, it's, not only important that the horse performs well to it and likes it and listens to it and hears it well and, you know, performs without being upset, but it also is really important that the music from, from a judge's perspective, that the music enhances the horse Mm. instead of detracts from the horse. Mm. So it's really important. For instance, I have a horse that I ride that has a real bouncy quality about him. He really comes off the ground. We have uh, one of my friends actually calls him his, calls him the dancy horse or the horse that has dancy feet. Mm, okay. okay, because he really he looks like he doesn't even hit the ground. He just he really comes off the ground beautifully. If you watch a gymnast walk or about a ballroom dancer walk, mm. you know how they walk with just this poise that almost seems like they float across mm-hmm. the floor. Mm-hmm. And he moves like that. So when we do a musical freestyle for him, we try to find something that enhances that instead mm. of making him feel earthbound. Mm. Sure. Sure. Oh, interesting. Well, that's fascinating that the horses respond that much to music. Given that fact, do writers tend to use music with horses for other purposes, like a pre-competition psych-up, you know, like this is the music we play on the way to the competition or like evening, okay, the, the day is done. We want to just relax and wind down. Here's your music for that. And then music, using music for cueing in that way. You know, I wish more riders did that. I think it's a wonderful idea, and I have done that in the past. I am one of the few trainers I know who does that. Mm. And I think part of it is that so many riders are not musically inclined, so they don't tend to utilize that as much or, you know, appreciate it as much. The musical, the musically inclined riders are the ones where you see that happening more. Uh, like there's a writer, her name is Anki von Grunsven, and she is just known for many, many years. She had over, I think, nine medals uh, in the Olympics. She was just known for being the queen of the cur, which the cur, by the way, is, is the European term for musical freestyle. Mm. And K-U-R is how it's spelled. But okay. she was known for being just the queen of musical freestyle. And she is musically inclined and you can tell by watching her perform that she really rides not only to the beat of the music but to the phrasing of the music Mm. and I think that that's something where you don't always see that and the frustrating part that I have run into is that not all judges are musically inclined so they cannot always appreciate that 
Well, when you so talk that's about a little bit tricky. Yeah, you're really yeah. talking the musician's language there. Yes. <laughs> yes. It surprises me that more dressage athletes are not musically inclined because there is so much artistry in dressage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, what's another thing that is so fascinating is rhythm is like the fundamental basis of our training scale. I mean, rhythm is so important mm-hmm. to us. So we all can keep a beat on our horses. Mm-hmm. So you'd think we'd all be musically inclined, but alas, we're not. <sighs> but, Interesting. you know, yeah, everyone has their own their own skill set, I guess. Sure. And some are more talented at it than others. Sure. Talk to us a little bit about the typical process of an athlete putting together the music and choreography for the musical freestyle event. Where does that start and what does it look like? Well, there's sort of two methods that tend to be used the most. And one is, I would say, the most common which is to have edited music. So it's existing music from popular artists or, or whomever they get copyright permission or whatever to do their musical freestyle. And they edit those pieces together or have a professional that pieces them together because we do need different pieces of music or certainly different beats because we do have the walk, the trot, the canter, which are all three different gates. Mm-hmm. The walk has four beats, the trot has two beats, mm. and the canter has three beats. Oh. So those are all very different pieces of music. Uh-huh. So, you know, a canter might suggest a waltz uh-huh. or a swing beat or something like that. You know, the walk tends to be more bluesy, suggestive. Um, the trot is a little bit simpler to find something for. But... Because of that, you need three different pieces at least, if not more, because then the Piaf and Passage are two-beat gates, but they're slower than the trot speed. Uh So it gets complicated to try to find one piece of music that can encompass all of those different beats and movements. So they usually do something similar to this. They perform the choreography that they want to perform they say this is going to show off my horse to the best of its ability it's going to show double pirouettes which are allowed or a turning pirouette a piaf pirouette um something like that one tempi's on a circle whatever it may be and they put together their choreography they video it they send it to a musical freestyle designer and say make me music and then the musical freestyle designer sends them back a piece of music that they have edited and spliced together and say, Hey, does this make sense? And try this. And then they edit it and adjust it and keep, they can continually adjust it as needed or even take pieces out and replace them if they need to. That is, I would say the most common way of doing it. The other way of doing it and the way that Anki von Grunsfin has done it a lot, the queen of the Kura that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier and a lot of other top riders have done, including myself, I've done this as well, is creating original score. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about the copyright problem mm-hmm. because you're you're creating it with someone who's being hired to create it for you. And you never have to worry about someone else having your same music at yeah, competition, which sure. does happen sometimes. <laughs> and you also can completely 
make it your own baby. I mean, it can really fit your horse to a T. Uh-huh. The only downside to that, I mean, one is it's an immense amount of work. And two, there is a little downside in the sense that the judges are not familiar with the piece. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're familiar with a piece, like I cannot tell you how many musical freestyles have been done with James Bond music. Mm, sure. You know, it's really popular. Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. very popular. You know, there are a lot of these pieces of music that are really popular because everyone knows it and loves it. Sure. And when you know it and you love it, you're kind of tapping your toe along to the beat. And at the end, you're smiling and sure. you feel well, and good. It and it stirs listen. up emotions and memories Absolutely. that you felt when you watch the movie, which are positive. Absolutely. Yes. So a lot of times that has its benefits of having known music. So Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll even incorporate some known uh, choruses or songs into the original score. Mm -hmm. And you will see that on occasion. The other thing that we run into is that we used to not be allowed to have lyrics during Mm -hmm. our musical freestyles we are now allowed but that's relatively new Ah. and it was frowned upon early on because they thought again it was going to be very distracting Uh so now with the original score like Anke von Grunsven famously sang one of the chords in her own music Mm. which was kind of special because it literally had her own voice humming along Ah. as part of the the original score So you can make it really personal. I know another writer who was getting married that year. So she did a whole freestyle to love and marriage. Mm. Um, Sometimes you can make it kind of a personal theme for what's going on in your life too. So you can really express yourself with it. Ah, Very cool. Well, there's another quote that I saw on the Olympic.org website that said, freestyle is the pinnacle of dressage execution. And when it works, the result is magic. <laughs> I thought that's that was a great really way cool. of putting it. I yeah. many times said it can be magical. It really can be. Mm. It's beautiful. I, I many times myself have been in tears watching freestyles, musical freestyles. And I have had many people come up to me afterwards when I've performed them and, and been in tears and mm. very emotional. It really can evoke an emotion that, I don't think the regular test without the music brings out as much emotion. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, Betsy, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. What do you have to share with listeners today? Well, I wanted to share with listeners today a little piece from my own competition with that horse I was speaking of earlier. That's the surfer dude. Okay. And (laughs) share with them one of our competitions. It was not our best competition, I have to say, but it was a really magical moment for the two of us. We had really fulfilled something that I had worked very hard at with this horse and Mm -hmm. It was a really special moment because we did something in competition. I believe that was probably the first time we ever did it in competition, actually. Uh, An original score, and we did it to a movement. We did a movement that had not been executed 
almost ever by anyone. I hmm. have to say, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do what we did. We did 31 tempes on a circle consecutively, and we did it not only consecutively on its own, but we started with two tempes and went into one tempes and then back out again. So hmm. I think, you know, listeners might not know what tempes are, but for me, it was a really big moment because my horse really came through for me and pulled out all the stops and did something that I knew he was really great at and had a lot of experience and skill and confidence to back up. But not very many could do it. So we had a really magical moment and we did it in time to our original score and it was just really special for us. Mm. Well, and I know the commentator during that performance mentions what you were just <laughs> talking about. I remember her talking about that, which of course, you know, I, I'm not familiar enough to to know what exactly she was talking about, but it was the 30 Tempes in the circle that yes. she mentions. Yeah. Oh, neat. And if I remember correctly, she she says something about it, and then she goes very quiet. And the reason she goes very quiet is because she's, I'm sure because I I do it the same thing when I watch it, even though I know how it ends. <laughs> is we're all holding our breath because there is there are so many one tempi changes, and there are there's absolutely no room for error. Mm. so there's it's every single stride i'm asking him to change his lead so it looks like he's skipping okay and because of that if if he misses one it ruins the whole thing Mm. so she becomes very quiet because i as i said we're all holding our breath when we watch one tempes well so fascinating i mean whenever we talk about the subject i'm struck by the similarities between dressage athletes and musicians because it's so similar to playing a really fast technically difficult song you play one wrong note and it's really hard to keep going with that run that you're in. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I probably because of, you know, being around such wonderful musicians like yourself, I, when I'm teaching, actually bring into my teaching often this phrase and many of my students can attest to it. I will say, make sure you finish that movement. The final note of that movement should be beautiful. Mm. And mm. we we often, you know, get excited about how things are going, and then we kind of don't finish as well as we mm-hmm. should. And so I always say, even the halt at the end gets a score. Mm. So at the end, you have to make that final note perfect. Yes, yes. I tell my students that all the time when we're preparing for events, nail the ending. It's like the beginning yes. and the ending are the most important. They're the e- <laughs> and they're the easiest to get right, usually, at least in the horse world. It's, mm. you know, it's something that if you, if you, you usually know that extremely uh-huh. well. Sure, sure. Well, in the original score that we're going to be hearing, uh, we'll be playing a portion of it. You can watch the entire uh, YouTube video, listen and watch uh, using the link in the show notes. But tell us about the composer of this original score. Yes, I'm so glad you asked because I was going to try to interject about him because he's so wonderful. His name is David Chown, and he is the man that I worked with to create that original score as well as several others. And... He is not a horse person. David Chown's an incredible musician. I met him when he was playing at a local venue, and 
hit it off with him, asked him if he would ever want to do something like this. And he said, I don't know anything about it, but I'm willing to give it a try. And many original scores later, we were starting to really get a system finally worked out. He is a musician. I am a dressage trainer. We get together and basically I present him with a movie or a video that has been taken of me doing the choreograph the, the choreography that I want to do on my horse. And he actually has a program with his computer that he can put that video in. And then he literally sits down to his piano or keyboard and I suggest a, a genre. I say, I suggest a feeling of the music, whether I want it powerful or dainty, whether I want it uplifting or uh, more powerful marching feeling, you know, more ground, earthbound. Um, And he starts playing something and I say yes or no. And then he starts playing something and I say yes or no. Wow. And he starts starts off and once we get kind of a, a feel for the taste of the music that we want to start, then we start watching the video or rather I start watching the video and I start counting out to him the beats and he sets his metronome Mm -hmm. to that. He starts playing to that. Then I start saying, now the music is building. Now the music Mm -hmm. is building because we're about to start an extended trot, which is very powerful. Mm. And then I say, now it's collecting and becomes softer. And as I'm saying this, he's playing to whatever I'm speaking. Oh, wow. And it's a, it's an incredible experience, and obviously it takes many renditions, but I think that original score that is in the notes, I'm pretty sure that's the one we did the fastest, and I think that took us only three hours total, mm. which is incredible. I mean, to make incredible original score that took us to national finals uh-huh. and... I don't even think it took us that long. We kind of had a system down, and we had also done more than one original score for that horse, so we knew what kind of music he liked. Mm, Yeah, well, here listeners can listen to Betsy Van Dyke competing with the original score by David Chown at National Finals. Yes, and be sure to give the horse some credit, too. I actually point to him at the end because he really did the work. Now that wasn't easy to do, but she did it well. Cantered and went into the pirouette, double pirouette again. So another highlight for him. And remember, those are double coefficients. She's picking up points here with that. Thirty-one tempies on the circle. Seven-two tempies on the half circle and into the extension right in front of the judges. She's really going for it. And of the four places double coefficients count, canter pirouette right, canter pirouette left. Very strong in the pirouettes. 
and also he has a good passage. His calf needs what we've discussed already. More sitting and lifting to maintain the impulsion more in the spot. Good sequence in the half passes. Let's see what she's going to do here. I thought. She's really making her point. Fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous. Very confident. Betsy Van Dyke from Michigan with Cantana now completing the Grand Prix musical freestyle championship ride. Lots of calculated risk and successful. She really, that was a very complicated, inventive choreography. And it worked. I don't know about you, but I get goosebumps listening to that. Treat yourself to the combination of ear candy and eye candy by watching the full seven-minute video included in the show notes. There's also a shorter one-minute highlight version of it. And if you want to learn more about why music gives us goosebumps, check out episode 35. Thank you so much, Betsy, for sharing your expertise with us and highlighting the role that music plays in this mesmerizing and complicated Olympic event. Betsy and I were in Michigan together recently at our parents' place around the 4th of July, and our dad was such a great sport and humored us in getting out his accordion which he hadn't played for several years. He took lessons for just a few years as a kid and has only played maybe 10 or 15 times in the last 50 years. And I was so impressed with how well he was able to play. And he commented on how incredible muscle memory is. I did include a couple pictures in the show notes of Betsy and me with him playing his accordion. And by the way, you'll see in the pictures, he did not have a music stand. He does now have a music stand, and he's agreed to my request that he play the accordion for 75 minutes a week for his pleasure and as an anti-aging brain workout. So if any of you listeners know Doug Van Dyke, please ask him regularly if he's played his 15 minutes that day. We want to keep him in this great shape for as long as possible. This is the show's 52nd weekly episode, which means we're celebrating one year of exploring the many ways music enriches our everyday lives. A one-year anniversary is the perfect time to say thank you to all of you listeners for accompanying me on this delightful learning experience. Thank you also to all of you guests who have shared your time and expertise and experiences It feels very fitting to have Betsy as my guest on this 52nd episode since she and my dad are two of my most loyal listeners and cheerleaders. Thanks, Betsy and dad. Last and most important, a huge thank you goes to my husband and my two kids. In case you haven't noticed, I am very passionate about the power of music and I absolutely love learning about and discussing the topic. So I've spent quite a bit of time on this fun project in the last year or so. 
And my family has not once complained, but they have been completely supportive and happy for me to be in my happy place creating these episodes and connecting with guests and listeners. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Ian, Adrian, and Eric. You're the best. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe, follow, or plus button on whatever podcast app you use. This conveniently delivers each new episode to your device each week when it releases so you don't have to search for it. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.